0: This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chetka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Joint replacement surgery usually results in a tremendous improvement in quality of life, often giving relief from chronic pain, improving function, which can result in greater independence, But occasionally things don't go as planned, and although prosthetic joint infections are relatively uncommon, it remains one of the major complications of joint replacement surgery. It commonly leads to joint removal or loss of joint function followed by prolonged antimicrobial therapy. The management of these infections can result in a financial impact that can easily be three to four times the cost of the original joint replacement surgery. With us today is Dr. Ellie Barberi, an expert in joint infections from the Division of Infectious Disease at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Welcome, Ellie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, a couple months ago, you gave a grand rounds on this topic, and uh, I have to say, it was probably one of the best grand rounds I have heard. So, when I heard that, I figured we need to get you as a guest for this topic. So, let's start by talking about how common do prosthetic joints get infected? They're being done a lot with our population aging, do they get infected very often?
1: Not very often. Um, As you've uh, mentioned in your introduction, uh, about a million or so of those surgeries are performed in the U.S. on a yearly basis. Um, It's estimated based on the CDC data and some from data from the Mayo Clinic and other centers that about 1% or so of those patients uh, will develop a prosthetic joint infection. Um, that number obviously is an average. Uh, There are factors that we could discuss uh, later that can increase that chance, and there are other things that we can do to reduce that chance.
0: Are some joints more prone to infection than others?
1: Yes, there are some situations where uh, certain joints may be at increased risk. Uh, These can be classified into uh, things that are related to comorbidities of the patients, or to the surgical factors or to the prosthesis itself. There are certain locations that might be at increased risk. For instance, ankle uh, arthroplasty is at higher risk. Mm. Um, The most commonly performed are hip and knees. Usually when the joint is revised, that increases the risk. There are certain prostheses that replace patients with tumor of the joints or big revisions
0: these tend to be associated with an increased risk of infection, too. So if somebody has one prosthetic joint infection and it's revised, are they at greater risk for getting a subsequent one?
1: They are. Um, they are at greater risk, and that magnitude is anywhere between you know, 2 to 3 to five, ten times sometimes mm-hmm. what it would be if it was the first surgery.
0: How about the timing of these infections? Is there a time period where you can say the risk now is much less than earlier?
1: Yes, there is. Uh, most infections do tend to appear in the first few months after surgery, within a year or so. Uh, the risk after a year goes down uh, uh, quite significantly, but there's always a continuous risk on a yearly
0: basis after that, but much less in the original first year period. Mm-hmm. And how about the reason that these joints are being replaced? Let's say a patient with rheumatoid arthritis versus osteoarthritis. Is one group at greater risk for developing an infection?
1: It is. Uh, Most commonly, it's performed for degenerative joint disease. That's the number one indication. But there are other conditions, inflammatory arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, that might be associated with an increased risk. This is uh, mostly related to the fact that these patients might be on immunosuppressive drugs Um, And that by itself can increase the risk a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm. I have a fair number of patients who have had joint infections. My practice is mostly elderly. Um, What questions should I be asking them to think about the possibility of a prosthetic joint infection? How do these patients present? So it depends on the timeline. And
1: early on after surgery, it's about wound healing and wound drainage. Uh, So if the wound doesn't heal after surgery within the first few weeks, and that's most of the time um, shows itself as ongoing wound drainage that doesn't want to stop. And we tell the patients any wound drainage that goes beyond 5 days or 6 days that needs attention. Uh, wound dehiscence is another one that we see in the first few weeks after surgery. Uh, so if there is an opening in the wound, uh, that should also be evaluated. Um, after a few weeks, the incision is healed. Most patients that present with infection have joint pain that doesn't go away. Um, and that joint pain is persistent. It's usually at night um, and is um, not affected by activity or physical activity. That is one way to distinguish between an infection, pain due to an infection versus pain due to surgical Uh, pain or uh, sometimes non-infectious complications. Mm -hmm.
0: So how do we diagnose these joint infections? Uh, What about physical exam? What do we find on exam? So early on, we look at the wound itself. Um,
1: Is the incisions well healed? Is there any drainage? As we stated, is there any redness? Um, Beyond that, um, not a lot of local uh, findings. Sometimes increased warmth can be present, but that's also pretty common. Um, after surgery, so that may not be very uh, helpful. Um, Then we very often in these patients, especially after a few months, we rely on diagnostic testing. Mm -hmm. And we can divide those into laboratory testing, joint aspirate fluid testing, and imaging. With the joint aspirate testing, we often look for the number of cell count and neutrophils. And note here that in patients with prosthetic joint infection, the threshold to to diagnose an infection in the cell count is much lower than patients with native infections Uh, in the magnitude of 1,700 uh, to 2,000 total nucleated cells. And we also look at the percent of neutrophils in that fluid, Um, anything above 65 or 70%. uh, Neutrophil count is considered diagnostic of infection. This is usually the cutoff of patients that are a few months after surgery, six months after surgery. Early after surgery, the cell count is naturally higher, and the cutoff is much higher. Mm-hmm. We could do other testing on the joint fluid. There are a number of inflammation markers and protein that we can test, uh, alpha-defensin, um, uh, CRP and the joint fluid itself, and so forth, that might be helpful. We also look at the culture results that we obtain from the joint fluid. Um,
0: and that uh, is usually diagnostic when we culture something. So it sounds like the joint fluid analysis is really the definitive diagnostic test.
1: Correct. So we often look at clinical symptoms, uh, general laboratory testing such as SED rate and CRP. If they're elevated, there are clinical symptoms, then we proceed with an aspirate mm-hmm. for cell count. What do x-rays of these joints look like? Um, x-rays may be helpful, but not Often uh, we often do them to rule out non-infectious causes of pain, such as um, uh, mechanical lucency, um, um, dislocations, and so forth. Uh, with chronic infections of of the joint, we often look at lucency, which is a, a separation between the prosthesis itself and the bone. If we see that developing over time, especially if it's early, within one or two years after surgery. That may be indicative of a chronic infection around
0: the joint. Mm-hmm. Today's podcast is sponsored by Mayo Clinic's online CME. Go to ce.mayo.edu onlinecme online CME to see the full list of course offerings. Join us weekly here at Mayo Clinic Talks as we discuss best practices and burning questions. Subscribe today using Apple Podcast, Spotify, or whatever app you're currently using. So these patients generally present with pain. Are they typically febrile? Typically not febrile.
1: Most infections and most organisms that cause these infections are of low virulence. Uh, and most patients are not febrile, actually.
0: Okay. What are the common bacterial pathogens that you often identify?
1: Um, Staphylococci is by by far the number one, and they are divided into two categories, the coagulase negative, such as epidermidis and so forth, as well as the staph aureus. Between uh, coagulase negative staph and staph aureus, uh, about 50 to 60% uh, of the number of organisms or the percent of organisms Other organisms, such as gram-negative, streptococci, enterococci, anaerobes, and so forth, uh, are also
0: implicated in in a much lesser degree. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's talk about why some patients get infected and others do not. There's a way to stratify the risk of these patients. Is that correct? Correct. Um, So this is a work that
1: has been done at our institution and as many other institutions. What predisposes certain patients to develop an infection? Um, and we generally divide this into three major categories. Uh, one are factors related to the patient's comorbidities. Um, these are, can be related to the Im- immune status of the patients, immunosuppression, uh, uncontrolled malignancy, rheumatoid arthritis, diabetes mellitus, and so forth. And there are surgical and local wound factors that, play, that are at hand. These are related to, uh, is this a revision? Is this a tumor prosthesis versus a primary prosthesis? Is this a revision surgery? Um, are there radiation on the wound? Um, um, and the soft tissue status and so forth. And then there is a third factor, which is the post-operative or pre-operative factors uh, related to the wound management uh, and hematogenous seeding of the wound these are typically uh, due to infections elsewhere, mm-hmm. uh, such as wound infections or uh, dental abscess, uh, skin infections, or bacteremias that seed the prosthesis.
0: I have a fair number of patients who have had one or more joint prostheses, and as I going through their medications, an antibiotic is listed. And I ask what that's for, and they said, My doctor told me to take that if I have dental work. So the big question. Do patients need prophylactic antibiotics prior to dental work?
1: I wish I have a clear answer to you. I don't think that question has been answered. Um, There are a number of guidelines that were recently published that um, in general advise against that practice. Um, The data to support the use of antibiotics uh, is not there. Uh, There is epi data uh, case control studies, large cohort studies that showed that use of antibiotics to prevent infection in the setting of dental procedure uh, is not effective. Um, and we do know that uh, use of antibiotics on a larger scale um, has global health implications in terms of C. diff and antimicrobial resistance and so forth. Um, so the data to support the use of antibiotics is lacking the american academy of orthopedic surgery has uh, recommendations uh, uh, that have been published to discourage this practice in general the ada the american dental association also has recommendations to discourage this practice and these were published a little bit later than the uh, aaos american academy of orthopedic surgery recommendations Mm -hmm. We usually tell the patients and the provider to to talk it through, look at the pros and cons. In certain high-risk patients, uh, patients who are at much higher risk, big prostheses, immunosuppression, and so forth, prior revisions, the first few months after surgery, uh, sometimes we say, you know, that if you want to do it, that might be okay, um, considering
0: that we still don't know what the right answer is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fair enough. So let's talk about the treatment of these infections that can uh, get kind of messy. Surgery again, or prolonged antibiotics, what's the standard of care? Um, The management of patients with
1: prosthetic joint infections requires a team. Um, It requires an orthopedic surgeon, an infectious disease specialist, an internist, um, sometimes plastic surgeon, and microbiologist to advise the best strategy the management strategy is divided into a medical management and a surgical management the uh, strategy depends on a number of factors whether the infection is acute or chronic uh, whether there is lucency of the prosthesis or not the condition of the soft tissue in general we look at two things one is removal of the prosthesis versus washing out and retaining the prosthesis The decision that would sway us towards removal of the prosthesis would be patients with chronic infections, if there's lucency of the prosthesis, um, and if they have failed conservative retention. We tend to retain the prosthesis when infections are early, within a few weeks after surgery, or if it's an acute infection. Patients who've had a prosthesis for several years and they have an acute infection in this circumstance, the surgeon would go in, wash the joint, remove the polyethylene liner, which is a plastic that coats the prosthesis, um, and retain the actual metal, replace the polyethylene liner, and close the, prost- uh, close the wound. Uh, no matter what the strategy is, whether or not it's removal of the prosthesis or debridement and retention, patients will need a prolonged course of antibiotic Um, and if the prosthesis is retained very often, a suppression phase that could last for as long as they have the prosthesis. Infections around the metal is a biofilm infection, uh, and that is sometimes very tough to eradicate with antibiotics, so that's the reason why in chronic infections we tend to lean towards full removal of the metal. Mm -hmm.
0: And the long-term use of antibiotics is going to be oral. It's not going to need. They're not going to need IV antibiotics. The
1: initial phase is usually with an IV, usually that can be anywhere between four to six weeks. Uh, although newer data um, is suggesting that we could use shorter duration of intravenous antibiotics. Um, uh, and if the process is retained, we give oral antibiotics for years. Mm-hmm. How about resistant organisms? Are you seeing much of that? Increasing number of patients that we're seeing have a resistant organism. Gram-negative resistance is increasing uh, throughout the country, and that's affecting uh, bone and joint infection, in particular, prosthetic joint infection. Uh, We tend not to have a lot of uh, good oral options to suppress these patients, and that might be
0: another indication for a complete resection of the Mm -hmm. joint. Okay. So if you had to summarize for our audience the presentation, the evaluation, and then treatment of prosthetic joint infections in just a few sentences? How would you do that? Um, So patients typically presents with two major syndromes.
1: Uh, One is the early postoperative infection after surgery, and that usually presents with wound drainage, wound dehiscence, and wound healing complications. After that, patients' sole symptoms may be just joint pain. A fever is typically lacking. When we suspect a prosthetic joint infection, we often recommend laboratory testing, such as sedrate and CRP. Um, There are some other tests that we can do too. If these are elevated, we often proceed to an aspiration of the joint. Uh, We look for cell count and differential, and we often look uh, to culture that fluid. Nine out of 10 times, we are able to establish the diagnosis through these means. Once the diagnosis is established, A discussion uh, can ensue about the proper management strategy. The decision is about retaining the prosthesis versus removing it. In acute infection or early infection, we often tend to lean towards saving the joint, washing it out, and changing the liner. In chronic infections, patients who've had symptoms for weeks um, or when the uh, the prosthesis is loose on the x-ray, We often lean towards removal of the prosthesis. In either case, a course of four to six weeks of antibiotic is administered. When the prosthesis is removed, we place a spacer. The surgeon places an antibiotic spacer. And then a second stage is often advised to reimplant the prosthesis after the patient has received the course of antibiotic. That's called two-stage exchange.
0: We've been discussing prosthetic joint infections with Dr. Ellie Barbari, an infectious disease specialist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. We now have over 60 topics of interest to primary care providers in our Mayo Clinic Talks podcast library. You can access all of them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.